In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I mentioned this earlier, but I did want to let everyone know that we just elected a new bishop um, for the Diocese of Maryland yesterday. The Reverend Kerry Schofield Broadbent is now our bishop coadjutor elect. Um, you won't get to use that phrase very often in your lives. Um, over the next few months, God willing, we will be getting the necessary consents from the rest of the Episcopal Church to our election. She will be consecrated as our bishop in September. And then she will be serving alongside our current diocesan bishop, um, Bishop Eugene Taylor Sutton, until his retirement next spring. Whitney, one of our vestry members, um, represented you all as your lay delegate in this election. Um, Deacon Jay Mayer was there as well, um, was one, of the, one of the clergy who were part of the electing process. Uh, I can't speak for them, but I can tell you that, in my opinion, God has done a good thing here. From her interviews and from her essay responses, conversations that she had, um, her answers at the meet and greets, I believe that our next bishop has a real passion for creating the space for the Holy Spirit to move and to do unexpected things in unexpected places. That she has the gifts and the experience to work in the wide variety of contexts we find throughout Maryland. And that it is good for our diocese to have called our first woman as a diocesan bishop. And for us, a guardian angel, it's worth noting that she seems to understand that the power of small churches goes well beyond their numbers. And she has a college degree in Spanish. Um, And I'm hoping that even as we've had Bishop Elof here so very recently, we'll still be able to get on her schedule early for a visit. So it's an exciting time for our church. Uh, It's appropriate on this first Sunday in spring that we are starting to look forward towards new possibilities. We're also still on Lent. So it's also appropriate to acknowledge that being a bishop is a hard job. And the largest challenge that our next bishop will face is that the church as we know it is dying. Church attendance is declining. Budgets are shrinking. Buildings are closing. Uh, We don't have to look very far to see this. Um, For those of you who know St. John's in the Village, it's only a few neighborhoods away in Waverly, um, they were just recently notified that after years of trying to make it work with fewer and fewer resources, um, they will be shutting down uh, next month. This is real. And while the Episcopal Church is getting hit very hard by this, it's not really just us. Most churches are facing a problem where people and especially people my age, under 40, are not interested in maintaining these religious institutions. And they are all declining. Our new bishop is going to need to lead us, all of the more than 100 congregations in the Diocese of Maryland, through the process of adjusting to that reality. So it makes sense that on this fifth Sunday in Lent, all three of our readings today talk about New life. We see the dry bones come to life in Ezekiel. We see Lazarus coming to life in the Gospel of John. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talks about how we receive new life in the Spirit. 
God is working in all of these situations to bring about something new and exciting. But we miss something if we don't pay attention to the process. Because death is the first step in bringing about new life. For the people of Israel, the empire that they had built, the kingdom, had to fall. Lazarus' sickness leads to his death. And he spends four days in the tomb before Jesus arrives to wake him back up. We get the very visceral detail of the stench in the tomb. Um, Those are tough realities. We can't ignore that part of the process. It's easy to say that the kingdom of Israel had to fall, but think about what that means. It meant loss of life in the wars that Israel fought and was defeated in. It meant the loss of stability. All the structures, the institutions that they had come to rely upon disappeared. It meant exile, being forced to live in a foreign land where they knew nothing and had no status. We all live right now in the world's most powerful empire. And even if we recognize some of the evil that exists in some of our excesses, it would still be hard for us to go from living in our current relative comfort to something more like what they are experiencing in Ukraine right now, living through the devastation that comes with being attacked and invaded. That's tough. And at the more personal level, We see Jesus being resurrected, but Jesus' friends suffered through Lazarus' death. We know what that pain is like. We know what it means to lose a loved one, a person that we valued and treasured in this life. They watched Lazarus die as Jesus was off, spending time somewhere else. They went through that grief. They went through the crying. They went through the period of mourning, of losing somebody that they had cared so deeply about. And we cannot deny the suffering that comes with these deaths. The hurt is real. And we also say that in the midst of sadness and sin and death, there remains that possibility of God's spirit coming in and breathing into us. Because God's power is not limited by death. God is able to overcome death. And Lent becomes a season where we embrace these deaths. We do not deny their reality, but we embrace it and recognize that God works in the midst of them to lead to new life. We prepare ourselves for the reality of the resurrection but allowing ourselves to be attentive to the grief that comes with the brokenness of the world, and particularly to be attentive to our own role in contributing to that brokenness, whether that's in the things that we do personally and individually or the things that the larger systems that we are part of, all of that is part of our sin. And it is especially in that kind of death, the becoming attentive to and dying to that sin, that new life becomes possible. We take the time to recognize that we must let the things that are not of God die and fall to the wayside so that there is space for what God is doing. And we have a season for this because it's something we do together. This isn't something that we're asked to do on our own. 
It's something that we go through as individuals and as a community so that we can be with one another in this space. And for our community especially, as we look at what I was mentioning earlier about the challenges that we face as a church, we do see a way forward. We have to embrace the idea that if our churches must die, then so be it. They will only die if that is clearing a path for God's spirit to do something else. God is not going to let the body of Christ disappear. God's spirit is not going to stop working to bring about healing and light and love. We can accept that things will change, some things might die, institutions will rearrange, but it is only so that God can bring about something new. God's words in each of these readings all talk about death, but the final words are always of comfort and the reality of something new that is happening. God tells the dry bones that I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Paul tells the Christian community in Rome, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. And so we can move forward with confidence. Even in the midst of death. Even while acknowledging the difficulties that we face. For each of us personally and for our church. Because the confidence that we have comes from our trust and our faith in God. It comes from believing in a God who is not limited by death. But who is constantly bringing about new life in the midst of it. And that new life comes not as something that we do but it arrives to us as a gift because it flows from God's grace and God's goodness. And so I invite you all to come to this table and to receive that gift. Amen. We continue on page 358.